0: Hi everyone, my name is Amber and I'm Jasmine, and welcome to another episode of the Off The Charts podcast. This is the podcast where we speak with experienced artists and hear more about their journeys to getting to where they are today. We are incredibly honored and very,
1: very excited to be welcoming Dr. Kathleen Desar with us today. Uh, Kathy is an incredibly accomplished educator, author, and musician with years of experience in all
0: her fields and she currently serves as the Associate Dean of Enrollment Management at the Juilliard School and have overseen offices of admissions and financial aid for over five years, which is perfect. You know, this um, application season is starting up soon. So we're so excited to be speaking with you today. So thank you so much for being here, Kathy. How are you doing? I'm doing great, lots of sunshine today. so. Good to be yes, with you. Yes. <laughs> we're
1: having we're having conflicting weathers, but it's okay. We're gonna we're gonna take on the sunshine from Kathy's end. Yes. Um, yeah. So for those of you who were in attendance at the 2021 Off to the Arts conference, you would you would recognize Kathy. Um, she <laughs> so graciously gave a presentation on behalf of the Juilliard School, um, which was absolutely incredible and so insightful. And we got a lot of amazing feedback about it. So we thought we we just had to get her back on for an episode because there's <laughs> so much we know that you've been able to share with us. And we just want to sit down and kind of get through it all but even yourself you have such an incredible background um, getting you know starting as a musician and getting into education administration so we're going to dive into all of that today so it's going to be a great one for those of you at home for a little bit of a background um kathy began training in violin performance at the age of nine going on to complete both a bachelor's of music and a master's of music and violin performance
0: She's also worked as a violinist in an orchestra in Venezuela and the Alabama Symphony, and she was a violin teacher at the Alabama School of Fine Arts and the Eastern Music Festival, and she even ran her own private studio. So, Kathy, how did you discover your own passion of,
2: for violin and music performance in general? Um, before I launch into that, I want to say that I have looked at some of your um, podcast episodes, and you guys are incredible. And I watched oh your very first you. episode... <laughs> Your very first episode was amazing. (laughs) And it gave me an idea. Oh, it gave me such an idea of what you want to accomplish with these. Um, And so, you know, of course, it it made me think about what I could say. And, you know, everyone has their own path. And um, even people who plan out their own path, it doesn't always work the way you think it's going to. Mm. And, um, you know, life, teaches us to be resilient or, or we crumble, you know, and um, sometimes right. we do both um, and learn along the way. So, you know, I uh, am the second of six children. That's a lot of wow. children. And mm. I, we, all of us went to this amazing grade school that had um, K through eight, and they had two orchestras, three bands, a string quartet, a woodwind quintet, a brass quintet, and a stage band. And this was for kids, you know, K through eight, uh, K through eight grades. Yeah. And, um, it was, it was an amazing, amazing program. And I was, um, you know, (laughs) my parents thought that I would get bored at school. So when the opportunity came to enter that program, that music program, which was all after school, you know, um, they pulled a violin out of the closet that belonged to my mother's uncle. And wow. that's how I started. And, you know, at the beginning, it was something to do. It kept me from getting bored. I hated practicing. Um, and I um, it, it, it became the thing that was my thing. You know, so when there are six children... Um, for us, all of us, it was about differentiating ourselves. And what's interesting, you know, you, you see a big family and like everyone's an engineer, or everyone's a doctor. Our family, everyone's something different, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And so yeah. I was um, playing the violin, but then one summer I got the opportunity to go to Eastern Music Festival, where I ended mm-hmm. up working many years later. And the experience of performing Um, in the orchestra there and the masterworks we performed uh, really literally gave me access to transcendence and transcendence, you know, being in the moment, right on top of the moment and not worrying about what's coming before or behind. um, that, That was like, that's what I'm going to do. And I told my parents that, you know, and I listened to your stories about your conversations with your parents and your you know, journeys with them, and fortunately, my parents were like, "Okay, if that's what you want to do, um, yeah, okay." And then my dad turned around, called up my violin teacher, and said, "We have to have lunch," <laughs> which they did. There's, there's a little issue here. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm scared. Okay, um, but, you know, they were they were always behind me, and so I did it. You know, I went off to school, and I, I went to summer programs, and I did all these things, and Um, ended up getting a job, you know, my first job out of school, um, was for an orchestra in Venezuela. So, you know, in order to use my skills and my, my talent, I ended up leaving my home country and going to Venezuela. But at the time, Mm -hmm. Venezuela was a wonderful country. This was before it, you know, had its troubles. Mm -hmm. And so it was fantastic. I mean, right out of college is a great job. Full-time yeah. playing operas, you know, we'd do an opera a week. I mean, it, with amazing yeah. stars, you know, it was fantastic. And then I got back to the U.S. and um, took an audition, many auditions, and got mm-hmm. the job in the Alabama Symphony. And that went on, and that was fine. You know, that's what I was doing. That's what I wanted to do. And then the orchestra declared bankruptcy, and suddenly I had no orchestra. Oh, and that was one of the few low points in my life and the lesson I learned. And and I think this is something that everyone listening should be aware of is I had defined myself completely as a violinist. I was that violinist. And when I could no longer make my living as a violinist, who was I? And that was terrifying. You know, I mean, even more than Mm -hmm. losing the income, the identity loss was terrifying. And I'm very much, I mean, I believe that, you know, when they say, how can you be a well-balanced artist? It's like, you don't want to be a well-balanced artist. I mean, you're an artist (laughs) because you're giving 110% of your life and soul, you know, to what you're Mm -hmm. doing. So you're not by nature balanced, but you have to have your own mind. You know, you really have to find ways to be yourself And to understand who you are, because if you're only that thing with an instrument or, you know, an actor on stage or, you know, a camera in hand as a filmmaker, um, then if something happens, it's traumatic. It's really traumatic. So you have to figure this out. And I figured it out, you know, along the way because I was so traumatized by the whole thing. (laughs) Um, But, you know, then what happened um, is that at Eastern Music Festival, where I had been a student, um, they needed a director of admissions. And I was like, I know that place. I was a student there, I was on the faculty there, I can do this job, and I did. And after my orchestra folded, every time I tried to be a violinist, it did not work out. And every time I tried to do something administrative, it worked out like a piece of cake. So oh, it was wow. really weird because so here I am struggling with, you know, who am I? And I, I, I you know, I'm still playing the violin. I was freelancing. I was still teaching. But I was like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I take auditions and I wouldn't get the job. And then I would say, oh, Eastern Music Festival needs a director of admissions. I got the job. So then I was at Eastern Music Festival. And a friend of mine called up and said the Eastman School of Music, which is a lovely school of music, you know, um, they're looking for a director of admissions. And I said, oh, are you going to apply for the job? And he said, no, I think you should. And I got that job. And then I was <laughs> traveling around the country. And, um, one of the people that I had known at Eastern Music Festival was now working in Los Angeles. And he said, yeah, we're going to start a conservatory and we need a director of admissions. And I got that job, you know? So it was like, and then, and then, after being in that job for a long time, I left for personal reasons, and I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but the person who kind of filled the, the the vacancy I left was from Juilliard, and when they left Juilliard, this position was open, and so I got the job at Juilliard. So, like, you know... The universe some,
1: works in mysterious
2: ways. It was meant to be. <laughs> music happening right now, some sort of organ chord or something, ah, you know? <laughs> You know so so this idea of you know we want to go into the arts and we want a career and our parents are scared to death because mm-hmm. like like a, the parent of a musician and so i'm not sure how it is with you know acting filmmaking all that but the parents of a musician are like there are two choices either you get the new york philharmonic or you're standing on the street corner with your case open hoping someone will throw in a dollar you know and yeah. and that's not true that's not true at all and um You know i i had a um a person who became my uh, assistant in one of my jobs and he had done some interning at the new york phil uh, no at the los angeles philharmonic and he said do you know a lot of those people who work there were musicians and i'm like yeah hello that's what i am you know um and so you you never stop being a musician but it it turns out that people have many different skills. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this idea that you're more than one thing. Um, I know I'm doing a lot of talking, but one of the things one um, of you guys said was reminded me of when I was at the stage of choosing college and I literally was in my head and I remember it so well. I was like, how can this decision I make now be for six, the next 60 years? Like, this is not fair you know, I'm making a decision now about the next 60 years. So then, yes. <laughs> right. And then when I right. went from, from um, playing the violin to sitting at a desk and working on a computer, you know, I, I was like, well, that's coming back to bite me. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> um, because I ended up doing different things and I didn't want mm-hmm. to. Um, but I've come to the point where, like, you know, Like I started out saying people have plans and here's what I'm going to do with my life, you know? So I thought I had plans and I thought I had accomplished those plans. You know, I was in an orchestra. I was making my living that way. Um, I kept auditioning for other orchestras because I wanted to move up, but I ended up doing this. Now I'm at Juilliard in a whole different capacity than I ever would have imagined, (laughs) you know? Right. I mean, it's just amazing. And to be open to that is very hard when you're, In the middle of the trauma you know the thing you wanted to do the person you thought you were um doesn't happen anymore and so how can you be open and and that was quite a struggle you know but but then look you know i mean look where i ended up and to me that's just a miracle i mean it's like you said the universe works in mysterious ways and i'm I'm i think where i need to be or it wouldn't have been so easy right
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, first wow. of all, before we even bounce back on all of that incredible information, we just want to say thank you so much for the kind words about the episode uh, that you watched. <laughs> so honored about that. Thank you for um, taking the time. Yes, oh, yeah, but Even um, just what you were saying as well about the idea of like, i'm sure jasmine and myself have experienced this as well when you say you want to be one thing in the arts it feels like if you venture out that means you failed at that one thing oh my gosh yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it feels like oh well i'm just doing all this now because that's what the people told me that i have to do too many different things to support myself but Mm -hmm. i feel like that's that's your versatility as an artist really and it's how you can apply those skills in Mm -hmm. ways that can fulfill you that you didn't even realize and you're really a living testament to that because you did
2: so many of those things But I will say, even within um, the arts, there's that bias. And Mm -hmm. um, I worked with people who were faculty members who really felt like, oh, you used to play the violin, but you must be a failed violinist because Mm -hmm. you're not making your living that way anymore. And that was very hard to take because it's like... I'm not a failed violinist. You know, it, it's the difference between saying I had something or someone took it away. It's like, no, I did that. I did exactly mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. I mean, I was at Tanglewood playing under Leonard Bernstein, for God's sake. You know, I mean, that was incredible. So mm-hmm. don't look at me and say, you know, well, now you're sitting behind a desk. So somehow you're less of a human being. And that's right. from within people who had the same training yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess the, the lesson there is that, again, that centeredness, you have to say, it's OK, you know, you're looking down on me doesn't take away from the experience that I had, you know, mm-hmm. um, but you have to be strong that way. You really do. For
1: sure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, actually, even segueing off that, talking about how many different things that you were doing, you know how were you able to kind of find those opportunities for yourself? I know you mentioned that some, you kind of had people that were telling you different things, so that networking aspect of it, mm-hmm. which we know a lot of people um, mention, especially in this, in, in the arts, that's something that's very important. In um, that way, what kind of skills helped you get those opportunities?
2: Mm-hmm. I meet a lot of musicians who are really good at what they do and their parents were musicians. And maybe their grandparents were musicians too, you know? And those musicians tend to have really good, solid foundations. My parents were not musicians. And so they didn't know what was good teaching and what wasn't. They didn't know where to study and all that. And they kind of learned along with me, you know? Um, And I think... Because they weren't musicians, I I had the advantage of learning some skills outside of music, you know. So like I had a friend who, um, played piano, and her mother was a pianist, and she played piano for you know her entire life since she was like, three or something, you know. And when she needed money, she would go play somewhere, you know. She'd play for a Christmas party, or she you know play somewhere where someone would pay her. And meanwhile, I was babysitting uh, for a little while. We had a paper rat. I worked at the department store, you know, all these different things where you learn different skills. Um, and so so that becomes an advantage because you realize you have those skills in you. Then, you know, many years later when things happened. Um, also, it, it gave me the, the voice in my head, um, you guys... Since you still live with your parents, you know, you may not know this yet, but their voices are always in your head. And I was, um, you know, living uh, after the orchestra folded and, you know, scared and traumatized. And I'm like, what should I do? And I heard this voice in my head saying, get any job and then worry about the music part later. But just get some job because you have to pay the rent and you have to have food and all that. So I got a job at a personal injury law firm. (laughs) <laughs> right, wow, and this, that's that's not like high up different. On the food chain. <laughs> yeah,, um, and it was funny because when I interviewed there, they they gave me two options. They actually had two positions open, and the one position they said it's a legal assistant, and they do this and this and this and this. and they laid out all the things a legal assistant does within their firm. And then they said, and here's this other job we have. Oh, and they had lots of legal assistance too. And here's this other job we have. And we only have one of these and we need someone to coordinate things. And we don't really know what this job looks like. And it's, you know, it's very nebulous. And I was like, that's the one I want because I don't want the thing that had all the structure. I wanted the thing that, like you had said in your, in your original podcast, the, the creative thing, you know, the thing where you, you know, you put together a spreadsheet, and it's like, wow, look at that spreadsheet. That's really cool, you know. And and um, you know, learned how to interview. So I was interviewing legal assistants like fifteen mm-hmm. a week. I mean, who knew how to interview? I mean, I didn't know how to do an interview, you know. And um, the management um, consultant sat me down, and she's like, "Here's what I need you to do. Here's the questions to ask, and all that." So suddenly, I'm interviewing people, you know. And of course, I've interviewed so many people since then. But you you collect these skills along the way, and and you find ways to use them. So, like the musician who says, um, "I'm going to start my own summer festival," right? Or my friend Annie, my friend Annie, who was one of the authors of our book. <laughs> so, <laughs> which we will Annie talk about was, later. <laughs> uh, Annie was the driving force. So when Annie was um, doing her. A doctoral degree at the University of Southern California. She um, decided to do a bunch of internships because she knew she did not want the path of an orchestral musician. So she interned at the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra. She interned at the Los Angeles Philharmonic. She interned in all these different places to learn different things. And she's she's brilliant. She has so many skills. And the skills she doesn't have, she's like, let's look that up on YouTube. And then suddenly she has that skill. You know. Wow. And so she's still a horn freelancer in Los Angeles and she still um, teaches. She has quite a few students, you know, but she does all these other things too. And, you know, if you say, I'm an orchestral musician, you know, I'm a, a, a screenwriter, I'm this, you put yourself in the box and then you get stuck. And again, if you don't kind of create, you know, build your own mind and say, no, this is who I am and this person does do this and this and this, or maybe this person only does this, but really, really well, you know, um, then, then you're, you're guaranteeing yourself, you know, a, a, a better life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really, I really like your emphasis on the idea of versatility, but I do wonder if, you ever got lost in that because you said you're like you end up working in a law firm which has nothing to do with what you ever thought you wanted to do. Was mm-hmm. there ever a point where you decided to just do something else since something like music, for example, wasn't really working out during that period? Did you think that, you know, since you have so many options, how did you keep your focus on the path that you wanted to pursue? while still juggling all of your other different types of talents and skills. I think that's really difficult because having to diversify, it means spreading out your attention. It means spreading out your time and focus. So how do you not kind of like lose your focus on your initial thought?
2: When I was doing these different things, when I was working at the law firm, it was all about survival. I just had to survive. Okay. I had to pay the rent. I had to have somewhere to live. <clears throat> so I wasn't planning anything. And then things came to me. So I didn't have a path. My path was bulldozed, you know? My path path was you're in the Alabama Symphony and you're going to take some auditions and then you'll get to this symphony and then that symphony. And eventually you'll be at the top of the heap and you'll just love being in the symphony. And I always loved being in the symphony. And I kept playing, you know, for a few years after my orchestra folded. so it's it my experience jesma is a little bit backwards from from the way you asked the question because um you know working in the law firm it was something i had to do and i mm-hmm. learned a whole lot so one of the pieces inside me that that i know is me is that i have to learn i have to be learning i mean I won't tell you how old I was when I got my doctorate, but it was just a few years ago, okay? And I hadn't been in school for many, many years. And so I go back for this doctorate, and I was not the oldest person in the program. I just have to say that. And <laughs> and, and I felt like a sponge. I mean, I was just like, oh my God, I'm oh. learning all this stuff. Even when I was crying, I was crying. I was like, I don't understand. This is so hard. But you know, it was it was like, feed me, feed me. My brain was just feeding me. So so even when I was working at the law firm, I was learning things. And then, um, you know, when I got the job at Eastern Music Festival and it was like a solid job within music, it was like using everything I had learned. I mean, I was the person who was auditioning like 600 kids a year, you know? Right. And it's like, I've played in an orchestra. I can audition kids. I understand how this works. And so it just all kept adding. Now, mm-hmm. the other part of your question I think is, <clears throat> is something my friend Annie would say, okay? which She would have the best answer for that. Um, but from, you know, watching her and knowing her for years, um, she sees things that, that she wants to have done, and that's her motivating force. So it's not like she's just randomly saying, you know, I'm going to do all these things. And she's also not saying I'm doing all these things um, either frivolously or just for the money or something like that. It's because she sees a need. So we, mm-hmm. we were, the, we had, she was giving talks about um, preparing yourself for an audition. And I was giving talks about applying to college and our third author, Don. sorry, I'm right. I'm jumping ahead of the-, the It's okay. <laughs> it's, it's a preface um, to it, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, and Don was giving workshops on performance anxiety. Okay. And Annie was the one who said, why don't we combine this? So then we gave talks, the three of us, right? Mm -hmm. Then Annie said, why don't we put this down in the book? I think people really need it. So then she was the one who figured out like how to self-publish a book and how to get it listed with the Library of Congress and all these things that you do when you have a book and copywriting it, you know, and then she created the website and she was the one who figured out the website. And then, you know, we didn't just have the book on the website but see each time it's like there's a need here we need mm-hmm. a website if you go to the website you'll see the last thing she did was a map of the US i think it goes a little bit into Canada but i think you i saw that, that on map? the website as well yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah it's because she saw the need so yeah. so i think you know when you do artistic training and Amber, you were alluding to this, like you're still training, you're still learning, you have to learn more, you have to keep going, you know? Um, yes, you do. And um, the worst thing to me that I would see happen to musicians is they get that job in the, the big orchestra and they're like, eh, I'm bored, but you know, it pays well. And, and they forget that drive. They forget mm-hmm. that, you know, learning is a good thing. And so when you're an artist, you have a choice, you know, you can choose to be random, but if you've been practicing and studying your art, you have that focus. And so I think you should be able to say to yourself, is this thing I'm reaching for going to be part of that focus or is it going to dilute that focus? So Jasmine, Mm -hmm. that's kind of coming back to what you were saying, it's like, you know, it's, I'll give you a different way of looking at it. When I'm at a college fair and I'm talking to high school students, you know, a student will come up to me and say, I play piano and I've played piano for 10 years because, you know, people start young, right? I've played mm-hmm. piano for 12 years and, and here's what I'm studying now." And they're like, I wanna know about your school, right? Then you have other people who come up and they say, I play violin and drums and guitar and this, and it's like, that's a different kind of musician. And right now, that's not the kind of musician my school teaches, but there are places for you. I mean, that's an incredible skill set. But if you're just dabbling in each one, then it's not. So, so you know, the, the, the only thing we can do is ask ourselves the question, you know, is this a dabble? Mm-hmm. Is this, um, you know, part of my focus? is this going to answer a question and and take something further whether it's my art or the profession or you know whatever Mm. further um i think that's where you can help yourself a lot Mm -hmm. you know and not be scattered on the other hand i thought of this when when i was listening to your podcast um (laughs) i'm a firm believer in having something that you're bad at okay Uh yes so um, you know, I studied the violin, I practice the violin, I perform the violin. I am not willing to do any of that badly. So I don't play anymore because it's, I'm not willing to be bad at it. Oh, I was okay. good at it. Mm-hmm. I knew how to get, sit down in the orchestra and focus and, um, you know, really work at something. Like, here's a new piece. Okay, I know how to take it apart and put it back together. I know how to do this. I like being bad at the piano. (laughs) I I can join you there. (laughs) (laughs) For a while, I actually had a piano. I I don't in this apartment, but I had one, and I had all these books of sonatinas, not sonatas, like sonatinas, Mm -hmm. and I could play up to three sharps and three flats really badly, like like one, two, three... (laughs) four, one, two, three, four, <laughs> one. And it just gave me so much pleasure to be bad at the piano. I didn't have to learn the scales. I didn't have to do anything. So when you're in your art form and you're so focused and, and you're learning and you wanna get better, you know? And then it's like, what can you do that like you really stink at, you know? What can you do? It's a balance. It's such a relief. It is such a relief. Um, like um, your cooking show, right? Uh, yes. Right? Cuisine. You, know? A fusion, you yeah. really did your research. <laughs> I just listened to your podcast. You guys were so open about what you're doing. And it's like, Jasmine, I don't cook, you know? I mean, I live alone. It's like, let's have a salad for dinner, you know? <laughs> and, but, but I could hear the way you described it, how much you enjoyed it, you know? Um, but you're not necessarily thinking about becoming a chef you have mm-hmm. other career ambitions so you know it's it's like it's it's what feeds the other side of you yeah amber you right. said balance mm-hmm. to,
0: mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wow that's a lot of like self-reflection self-discovery i'm self-reflecting
1: already oh my gosh <laughs> yeah okay this is what i need to implement this is Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> very different when,
0: approach but
2: yeah yeah i have a niece who's a little bit older than you and And she and her sister were visiting, and I said this to them about have something you're bad at. And this niece of mine said she's been dancing since she was very small, and to the point where she was wearing toe shoes. You know, so that's a lot of study if you're at Mm -hmm. that point. And she she looked at me. She's like, I'm not willing to do that badly. So she went off to college, um, and she, she with the idea of being a science major. And she got to her school and got admitted. And she said, well, I want to take dance classes. So she went and auditioned so she could, they could assess her, you know, for the Mm -hmm. dance classes. And they're like, you know, you could major in this. And she's like, okay. So now she's earning two degrees. Right. (laughs) One is in biology, but it's an emphasis on like microbiology, like some. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. uh That's a mind. The science-y stuff. (laughs) Right. And so she's got the left side of her brain and the right side of her brain. And we don't know what that'll synthesize into. Mm -hmm. You know, who knows? Who knows? Maybe she'll become a surgeon who works with dancers. I mean, you know, who knows? Right. But yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. So so knowing what you are not willing to be bad at, and yet having something that you love being bad at is a recipe for sanity, I think. I love that. Oh my gosh. That's amazing advice. All right, time to pick something to be bad at. (laughs) We're
0: going after this.
1: right.
0: Yeah, but I want to talk more about, you've already spoken so much about, you know, you as an administrator, as a teacher, all the work that you do. So let's dive a little bit more into that. Um, Just for context for our listeners, Dr. Trezar has worked as the director of admissions at the Eastman School of Music for over four years, and then also served as the associate dean at the Colborne School Conservatory of Music for over 12 years. And yeah now as we know she's joined the juilliard school faculty
1: um she's been the associate dean of enrollment management and since 2016 and you also hold a doctorate of education organizational change and leadership you are incredible like (laughs) what a resume what a wealth of experience and knowledge that we really want to dive into so the first thing right off the bat is How did your perspective change from, you know, working as a full-time artist and training as a full-time artist to now training people and working with people who want to be in your
2: shoes? How did that kind of work out for you? So I have to clarify, um, I'm not a faculty member, I'm a staff member Mm. at Juilliard. And Mm. um, I don't have direct influence on the students and how they develop. So my job is you know, managing the process of people applying, and we have a whole crew of people doing that, and, and then um, the, the process of um, awarding scholarship. And, and it's a team, I, it's never just me, it's always a team and right, right. understanding all that. So I don't really have the direct influence on the students, um, but like if you applied to Juilliard and you were admitted, it would be my signature on the letter.
1: Actually, mm. if you would
2: divide it would be my signature on the
1: Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, you'll see you'll signature. see Kathy either way. But even yeah. I guess it's just like a mission for Juilliard, because obviously that's what you know Juilliard is training future students and future artists. So mm-hmm. I guess as from the school mission as a whole, kind of how has mm-hmm. that influenced things for you? The
2: school really does what it says it does. And they're still to this day. I'll walk into a high school and someone will say, oh, Julia, it's cutthroat. I'm like, where did you hear that? Well, it's always been cutthroat. I'm like, yeah, like 40 years ago it was. (laughs) 40 years ago. So it's amazing when people say that. I'm like, no, you really should come and see because it's very Mm -hmm. different. And I think a lot of that was the work of um, the previous president who was there for like 36 years. And he had this vision of what the school should be. And so the school works really hard at not just the training, but also the support for the artists. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, going back to dancers, if you're a dancer and you, you know, break a bone in your foot, that is really serious. I mean, you can be a biology major like my niece and wear a cast. You right. can't be a dancer and dance, you know, mm-hmm. and so we have a physical therapist on board, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that we can help you get better. So. Um, what I love about the school is that dedication to the student that's there. And the idea of putting the student first is not just lip service. It it really is true. And then the students who come in are these incredibly focused um, people who know why they're there, you know, Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: that creates an atmosphere just by that fact you know and so like you might come in and think wow everyone's kind of just moving really fast you know and <laughs> and then you realize it's because of this focus you know right. there's a rehearsal coming up or i have to get to the practice room or you know we, we have a, a, a modern dance class today you know you have to get where you're going and then when you stop and talk to these people, they're they're wonderful human beings, you know. Um, so I have to say, you guys would fit right in. I just want you to know that. You would- oh my gosh! <laughs> you <would. laughs> Thank
1: you. You would, and I'd hire you
2: to work in admissions. Yes. We have a lot <laughs> Thank of- you. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. That's fantastic. Oh my gosh. Well, you know what? Actually, I just need to say mention this quickly because I when you were mentioning Juilliard's cutthroat, I have a little funny story. Um, my. My dad was encouraging me to kind of, my grandparents, they're in their um, late 70s, early 80s right now, and they're like immigrants, they don't really know too much about the fact, frankly, let's put it this way, the fact that I wanna work in the entertainment industry, I think they're still trying (laughs) to wrap their head around. Um, So I had mentioned on a phone call, I think that I was gonna have you on the podcast, and I mentioned Juilliard thinking it would go over their head, and my grandpa gets up and he goes, Juilliard? And I go, (laughs) Juilliard? And he goes, oh yeah, I know Juilliard. And I go, (laughs) you know, Juilliard and he goes, yeah, they're like so focused. And I go, my grandfather who lived in India for like 40 plus years and is an immigrant in his 80s, he knows Juilliard. He knows it. But you're right. It's changed so much from the the way I guess we kind of view it and see it to it's really a discipline. It's not that kind of like cold atmosphere that you think it is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, it's as soon true. as you mentioned that, I'm like, okay, well now I have to, now I have to tell that story. You have to. Bit. Yeah, that's a great story. That it's is like, a great I, story. I was laughing my head off of my dad. I was like, he has a <laughs> hearing aid. He couldn't really hear any of the conversation and Julia he picked right up and he was like, oh, I'm so excited about this. That's great. That is a great story. Thank yeah. you. Oh my gosh. Of course. Um, yeah. So. I guess, on top of even admissions as well, because you're right, your signature is there either way. um, You are (laughs) admissions, you work and help um, kind of advocate for Juilliard and especially even just arts um, admissions in general, which we'll talk about. So we wanted to throw in some questions a little bit about the application process itself, just general advice, you know, not too specific to anything. Um, So one question we thought of that we might ask is. In your opinion, what do you think is one of the most important parts of the artist's application? Because, especially, let's say you're doing it at a conservatory like Juilliard or even like a liberal arts setting, um, there are still different parts of the application process. So, what would you kind of say you sh- people should center their focus
2: around? So, anyone who's applying for a performance major, it's all about the audition, mm-hmm. and that's that's it. You know. Um, you can't have bad grades, but you don't need stellar grades because you have to be able to graduate from the degree program, but um, the audition is going to get you in, not the grades. Mm-hmm. Okay, So that's one one thought for someone who is thinking of applying. If you're applying to a liberal arts school or a university, then the equation is different because even if you have to audition... Uh, your grades are still going to count more. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of figure out your path. Um, If you're, you know, if you're in high school right now and you're looking at, you know, should I take more AP classes? Should I take more? I don't know if they have those in Canada. Do They They do. Select schools. (laughs) Select schools, yes. (laughs) You know, so, um, you know, taking honors courses, taking AP courses, that sort of thing, um, you know, if you don't know what kind of school you're applying to, you know, what kind of, what, what the ingredients are in their admissions decisions, um, then then you might choose in a way that doesn't help you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of schools now in the non-music side are going to what they call holistic admissions, which is supposedly a, um, I shouldn't say supposedly, it's, it, it's an approach that adds everything equally together. Mm-hmm. You know, like who are you in total, as opposed to you are this test score and you are this grade point average, and therefore you get in or you don't. um so so you know that's going to affect your strategy, the type of school. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing is that you really have to do some research and if you're a really busy person in high school, it's hard to say. Okay, now here's one more assignment, and you don't even get graded for it, but you have to determine the rest of your life by what you know right now right. about yeah. schools. Right? <laughs> um, and you know, I would think you know that's why guidance counselors are there. But guidance counselors don't always know. Uh, you know, guidance counselors certainly don't necessarily know about the arts. They know about. Yeah. You mm. know, if you say, you know, I want to get into a school like Harvard. You know, that makes the guidance counselor happy. It makes your parents happy. But if you (laughs) want to get into filmmaking at the University of Southern California, um, who's going to tell you, who's going to help you? Mm -hmm. So one very simple fact that is often overlooked is that we put all kinds of information on our websites you can go to any school's website, and we have spent hours and hours, someone at the school there has updated every year all the information about what the program is and, uh, you know, what you have to do to apply and all that. Um, I did a presentation where I, for in order to put together my slides, I looked up um, at one university, like, what their degrees were. And they, on the bachelor's level, they had a bachelor of music, they had a bachelor of music education, they had a BFA, they had a BA with a major, you know, they had so many degrees. Like I had to go in and read what they were. And if I were just saying, oh yeah, I'll apply to that school and not knowing, I'd be doing myself a big disservice, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm, So... mm -hmm if, if you are one of those people who has like no support from your parents and your school has no idea what, you know, how to guide you, just start on some websites. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, you can also read people's bios, you know, so-and-so got their uh, theater degree from such and such a school. It's like, well, maybe I'll look up that school and see, because I think that person's doing pretty good. Right. You know, and maybe you look at the school and you think, Ugh. And maybe you look at the school and say, I'm going to follow up. And then you can contact the admissions office because that's our job is to tell you more. Mm -hmm. And so even if you feel unsupported, you're not without resources. Um, Mm -hmm. As long as you have access to the Internet, you can find out all kinds of things.
0: Yeah. So it really is you'll have to it is what you put into it and it's all there. You just have to go find it. Um, Yeah, but I wanted to bring it back to something you mentioned earlier, and that is determining your strategy based off of what type of school you want to go into. So you mentioned liberal art uh, universities and also conservatory conservatory styles. So how would you help navigate someone who you know, didn't have a lot of experience at all taking any sort of art classes? You know, in high school, we only have so many different styles of teaching in the arts. So Mm -hmm. as someone who hasn't really experienced the difference. Between those two, how would you help them choose which one is more fitted for them?
2: Usually I have a conversation with the person and hear how they talk. Like that person who would come in and say, you know, I play banjo and I play drums and I play violin and I play trumpet. You know, right there I'm like, you're not going to be able to do that at a conservatory. Conservatory mm-hmm. wants mm-hmm. you to audition um, one instrument, maybe two you know, but a conservatory is not set up for, um, gee, I'll take this, this, and this. A conservatory is like the ultimate focus, you know, similar to our, uh, at Juilliard, our drama and our dance departments, total focus, you know? Um, So when someone comes in and says, I play all these things, and then it's like, so what do you want to do with that? If they say, well, I'd like to keep playing, but I really want to be a doctor, then it's like, okay, go find a a school with a good pre-med program, Right. right? And if it's a university, there's probably like, um, you know, some sort of school of music classes you can take, or maybe just a marching band, maybe the marching mm-hmm. band, you know, the USC marching band. Oh, my God, the USC marching band, you know, we heard them practicing, they practice outside every <laughs> oh, fall. Yeah. And I was like, oh, there's a marching band. <laughs> you <laughs> you can tell. Tell. Right. But most of the people in the marching band were not music majors. They right. were people at the right. university doing yeah. other things who wanted to keep playing and wanted to be in the mm-hmm. marching band, you know. Um, So I listen to what the person has to say and what they're interested in, Um, you know, and there are other factors, too, like, um, you know, I grew up in a small town and I want to experience a big city or I grew up in a small town and I don't want to go to a big city. So that guides your choice as well. And, you know, you can. You can put together a matrix, you know, just a spreadsheet or a, just draw a grid, you know, and start putting in the things that matter to you, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it matters that you're close enough to your family to go home on weekends. Maybe it doesn't matter, you know. Maybe you'd rather be far away, you know, let's be honest. Right. Some people right. Do. <laughs> um, you know, but each person has their own factors. I mean, is, if you don't have someone to talk to like me, who do you have to talk to, you know? And, in a way, your friends, you should be cautious about your friends. Okay. So what your friends can do is cheer you on. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're interested in, you know, studying, continuing to study classical piano, your friend might be really glad that you're doing that, but they may not know where you should do that or how you should do that, you know? And if you want to study jazz maybe that's a different school than where you would study classical maybe not but mm-hmm. how do you find that stuff out we do have networks that we may not be aware of like like if your high school has has a marching band can you sit down <laughs> and talk to the band director you know even okay. if your interest is is you know classical harp you know there's no harp in the marching band but that person has some sort of you know training in music, um, and so have a conversation with that person. There are resources, and and you know a lot of people who work in education, whether it's K through 12 or you know higher education, want to help you. And when someone, when a student says, "I want to go to college, and I actually have an idea of what I want to do, but I don't know where to take it further," it's like, "Yay! Hooray! Good! Let's help you. <laughs> right, out. Let's figure it right. out." <laughs> yeah. mm,
1: that's fantastic well, that's great um, and again if you hopefully if you are an attendee of our conference we have a handbook that details all of this information for you and hopefully will serve a little bit as a helpful resource in that respect as well Um, And, you know, so to wrap up our time a little bit here, I'd love to touch a little bit more upon College Prep for Musicians. I love that you have the book with you because I saw it right away. Where is it? Here it is. College Prep for Musicians. This is (laughs) linked below. It is. It is absolutely incredible what you guys are doing because initially, Jasmine and myself had only thought of it as the book. And so when we're doing our prep, we saw all of the network of resources that you guys offer and we're like, this is this is what is needed right now. So we definitely want to touch upon this before we go. Um, so, you know, much of your work especially in this respect has kind of revolved around helping because this is helping support youth musicians and youth artists who are hoping to pursue this in a post-secondary setting. So you are a part of this founding team of the company now called College Property Musicians. Um, You guys were founded in 2015, and it's dedicated to supporting youth musicians. And this book is kind of an extension of that, a part of a lot of different opportunities you guys offer, which hopefully maybe you can touch upon. Um, and it just offers a holistic, really, viewpoint on where is the support that is needed for youth musicians, it's, you know, you guys are providing. So how did College for Musicians get started? <laughs> what was that process like? And how, do you, I guess, what is it like looking back at everything you guys are doing and maybe will continue to, get, to do in the future?
2: Uh, yeah, there was a really intense period. Um where Annie and I were doing a lot of the editing. Um, Don writes has has written and continues to write quite a few books. Um, uh, Don's is a sports psychologist. And so he has this whole approach to performance anxiety. He was an Olympic coach, he coached Olympic swimmers. Um, You know, he's, he has the most amazing history. Um, And so he wrote we, we each wrote our parts of the book and then Annie and I took on the task of weaving it together um, over so many lunches. I can't tell you um, <laughs> how many lunches we had together. And we'd meet in coffee shops and we'd, you know, I mean, everything, we just, and we'd just sit there and edit and edit and edit and mm-hmm. then send it off and then edit some more. But we all, all three of us feel like it's better to have information. You need information. Um, You know, I said earlier, my parents are not musicians. They didn't know what to do. Um, And it's so much more complex now. It seems like, you know, just, even if you just say research on the internet, that's complex. I mean, you you guys all know how to do it. I get that, you know, but sitting down and being organized about it and being able to recognize that you're looking at, legitimate information, right? So like the .edu suffix on a website, that that .edu you can only use if you have accreditation.
1: Mm-hmm. So if
2: you're looking at the .com website, that's probably not, you know, for schooling, it's probably not the place you want to be looking. You want to be looking at .edu, right? Mm-hmm. So things like that, um, that kind of information should be be free and available to anyone I mean if we 're talking about access and equity of any kind yeah this it, it, information is it information is is what equalizes people mm-hmm. um, so I think that 's where a lot of this came from, and then just the excitement of you know you can do you can do more and you can do better you know so like the the map on the website that shows yeah. you different um music programs around you know it's like the, it, it, here's some more free information this information will help you on your path um so i think that's really like a large part of the motivation behind it
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and i mean for all musicians hoping to get into college definitely go check out college prep for musicians but for all artists and other disciplines as well like we've said there are plenty of these similar resources out there um thank you kathy for the edu advice that's (laughs) definitely something to keep an eye on i'm putting that on
1: my list now too we're we're both (laughs) ourselves just getting information as well this is amazing
0: (laughs) yeah yeah of course so yeah Kathy, I mean, you've given us so much insightful information already. But before you go, as we ask all of our guests, um, we like to ask for one piece of advice. So, what would you like to say to aspiring youth artists wishing to pursue this as a professional creative career? Um, or would you like to tell them just within any, uh, with, wherever they are within
2: their journey? Can I give two pieces
1: of advice? Of course, yes. We're not
2: going to limit them. Why, the Yeah. <laughs> So one is find your people. So I was really thinking about what you said in your um, podcast, in your initial podcast, and, and this idea that there might be someone, there are plenty of someones who don't have the parental support, who don't have the resources, and yet they know, they know that there's this thing they want to do. There, there are other people who are doing it, mm-hmm. and they're around you, but you have to find them. OK, so it's like. Like the person that, you know, the nerdy person who, you know, sticks out like a sore thumb in their high school and then they find choir and they're like, oh, my God, I found my people. Right. So find your people because that's where you're going to find the support um, and that's where you're going to feel like who you are is OK, because sometimes it's like it's not OK you know, I'm around engineers and they look down on me because I'm an artist. And, you know, it's like, then find your people because then you'll feel comfortable. And the other piece of advice is, I think I said this in the um, the conference, um, that if you don't try, you don't have a chance. Yes. And mm-hmm. you yeah. could try, you know, maybe, I mean, I tried. I, I got into the Alabama Symphony, I auditioned, I got in. I auditioned for lots of other orchestras and I didn't get those jobs, but I kept trying you know, I think I added up like 30 auditions. I just kept trying. Yeah. And each audition, you have a choice when you finish. You can say, I'm a horrible human being. I did terribly. Why am I in this profession? <laughs> I should not be doing this. I I just stink as a human being. I'm just going to burn my instrument, right? Or you can say, well, that didn't go so well. What do I need to do better? And then you practice, right? And Amber, you, you know, I know we have to contact your agent if, we're, if we are if want to hire you, right? Oh, I remember that part now. <laughs> you have to go out, and you have to, um, you know, you have to go out and and, and audition for things, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, you don't get. And and it's even worse for actors, I think, because it's like you know, sorry, you don't look the part. I mean, yeah. like you can't go out and audition for Spider-Man because you're not a man. Right. Right. <laughs> right. right. So, so, I mean, you're, you're shut out there mm-hmm. just by virtue of, of that, you know? So anyway, but still you try and, and each try should make you better. If it's not making you better then yeah, maybe you should quit. Maybe you should do the other thing, you know? Mm-hmm. But anyway, those are my two pieces of advice. Find your people, And if you don't try, you don't have a chance to get out there. Put yourself out there. Each time you do, you will grow. That's amazing.
1: Well, Kathy, thank you so much for being here with us. And uh, seriously, like a wealth of wisdom, hearing about your experiences, the stories that you shared. Um, I know Jasmine and myself are, you know, hanging out every word. (laughs) And we're sure all of the people listening and watching this are going to be doing that as well because this is this is going to be so helpful, I think, to a lot of people trying yeah. to get into what they what they're hoping to do in the arts industry. So so thank you so
0: much. Again. Yeah. And it's really not every day that we have people like you who are so willing and excited to just like help other people mm-hmm. within these fields. And, you know, that's with every guest that we've had on our podcast, we're just we can't thank you guys enough for this because it's just it's often intimidating to kind of go and reach out on our own. So we just appreciate you so much when you are so uh, willingly giving us all of this
2: information my pleasure and you guys keep it up okay
0: and i want to know
2: you have to tell me what your college decisions. So in a few months. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs>
1: oh, don't worry. We're gonna we're gonna keep you updated for sure. <laughs> Amazing. Well, if you That's guys brilliant. would like to kind of stay in touch with everything, if you wanna get access to College Park for Musicians, if you'd like to kind of learn a little bit more about Kathy and all of the work that she does, all of her links and all the links to everything we mentioned will be in the description boxes of wherever you are listening and watching to this too. Um, And with that being said, we hope you guys have an amazing rest of your days or weeks and we will see you guys on the next episode. Bye everyone.